Now, this is really, I'm aware that your pastor told me that you've gone through a series in John. And I'm just going to go a little overview and a little kind of glimpse just to summarise. And this is a good way to to keep in mind and summarise, keep it in your Bible and every time you look at John to kind of reflect. If you want to, if you're daring enough, you could actually memorise the book of John. The little acrostic Bible, you have each chapter has a title. And that, that helps you build an understanding of what that chapter is about and so you can start to memorise what John is about. But, you know, if you look at the picture, at the bottom, the coloured picture, you'll see that there's a J with an on-off button and it's J-on, John. All right? And what's the theme that the John's painting? The Son of God. And Jesus at the bottom, you see the little J with the crown, Jesus as Lord and King. That's the theme of John. In a nutshell. Now, as well as that, I want you also to notice that I want you to take you to John 1. John 1, the first 18 verses of John 1, if when you map it out, looks a little bit like this. In, In theological terms, it's called a chiastic structure. The psalmists use it regularly. And what it does, it kind of builds from two points right down to a focal point, to the climax. John 1 to 18 is your introduction to the entire book of John, to the entire Gospel of John. Verses, um, Verses 1 to 5 matches with verse, verses 16 to 18. Verses 6 to uh, 8 matches with verse 15. Verses 9 to 11 matches with verse 14 and it funnels us to look at verses 12 to 13. What does verses 12 to 13 say? Read there. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave, them, they gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Those two verses is your key to the entire Gospel of John. And we're going to see it unfold because the verses that I've picked to focus on today is what I believe the key centre of the entire Gospel of John which matches with these verses. So come on a journey with me. And I'm going to go, and part of this journey I want to give you some context. As we've been learning in our church at Denham Court Anglican, you know, if you pull a text out of context, it's a pretext for a con. All right, so remember that a text out of pretext is a text out of context is a pretext for a con. Because you can make say make you can make the Bible say anything you like if you take a verse out of its context, and people do, and that's not what I want to do. So please come on a journey with me. All right, I want you to focus your attention to chapter seven. Chapter seven uh, is is what starts the scene for the next four chapters. It's at the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus doesn't go straight away. He goes a little later because they're actually waiting in ambush for him. So he goes a little later. But the lead up to the Feast of Tabernacles, a feast that Moses in Leviticus instigated, God announced him to instigate. It's a feast that points the people to eternity. An eternity spent with a saviour and king a righteous kingdom, an eternal kingdom. 
But that's led up by, first of all, the Feast of Trumpets. It's a call to repentance. The next feast is the Feast of the Yom Kippur, right, which is about redemption through repentance sins, being covered, our repentance sins being covered and removed by the Lamb, the Lamb's sacrificial blood, ultimately Jesus on the cross. And so we come to the Feast of Tabernacles and Jesus starts secretly walking around, teaching all right, people. So the first thing we come to is um, in chapter 8, well, in chapter 7, you know, it's about is this the Christ and the Jewish leader's unbelief. Then chapter 8, at the beginning, the first, the first 11 verses, it's a bit iffy if it's in there or not, but it's, we've got it. And it's, and it's a beautiful section. The woman caught in adultery. All right? you know, Jesus is there teaching. The Pharisees, the religious leaders have grabbed this lady, caught in the act. Right? So in other words, they've kicked the door down, stormed in, grabbed her out, out of bed, no clothes, humiliating and shame, chucked her in front of the crowd and say, the law teaches us that such as one should be stoned. They, they left their buddy back in the bed. Alright? So they've got this word. They want, to, they want to catch him out. So he does his usual thing, ignores them, starts writing on the ground. Now I don't know what he was writing on the ground. Alright? Some, one comedian said he was probably writing down the names of all their girlfriends. I don't know. Whatever he was writing down, Right? But at the, end of the, at the end of his statement, whoever has, whoever's without sin, let them cast the first stone and everybody disappears. Because he's going back writing down probably the names of all their sins. Right? And so he says to her, is anyone left? She goes, no. So what does Jesus do? Right? Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Only God can forgive and cleanse in that way. See how John at the beginning tells us about this, about the word of God coming from heaven. And here he is doing the acts of only what God could do. But then it goes on. Alright? When in verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have light, the light of life. Which is actually a, a Jesus cross-referencing himself back in verses 4 and 5 in chapter 1. What does it say? All right. uh, in verse 3, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and the, that life was the light of men. All right. You see how John picks up the things and always brings them out. And Jesus uses the very words that we see back here. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And what Jesus is doing now is bringing that contrast out. Very gradually, very gradually tying a noose that the Jewish leaders are going to hang themselves with in spoken terms. So he starts to say he's the light. Now, have you ever, have you ever been in pitch dark? Has anyone ever been in pitch dark? I mean pitch dark. So dark you can't see in front of your face. Vicky and I, 32 years ago, on our honeymoon, we're over in Ely Beach uh, and we went to the hinterlands, I think at the above Mackay somewhere in the the mountains. And we rented this log cabin and there was no no street lights, no nothing. We wanted to make a telephone call. There was no phone in the cabin, so we had to go to the telephone booth on the other on the other side of the river. 
And we, had, we stepped out of the cupboard and we went, oh my, I can't see the road. I can't see where the bridge is and I can't see where the water is. We could hear it, but we couldn't see it. We had to virtually go on our hands and knees and crawl on for the, for the fear of falling in. That's the kind of darkness this is talking about, that contrast. The only light was coming from the telephone booth and we could see it, but we didn't know how to get to it. We had to find the bridge. And I was just thinking, there's a whole sermon in that in itself, isn't there? <laughs> we won't go there, we won't go there, we won't go there. But anyway, that, that, so that Jesus is saying he is that light in the darkness, in this dark world, and he's putting that contrast. And we need to kind of understand that. Because in, then in chapter 9, funnily enough, what does Jesus do? He heals, he heals a blind man who was born blind. And that's just after talking about spiritual blindness and the religious leaders, they knew he was talking about them because they said, they said in verse, uh, who was it? Uh, verse 59, uh, code verse 40, verse chapter 9. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? you but they didn't want to know they didn't want to know and so we need to be careful we need to ask ourselves how badly do we need to belong how badly do we need to fit in what were we prepared to sacrifice for it or ignore because the Pharisees were prepared to ignore the scriptures in order to belong it doesn't matter how long you've been coming to church or how young you are in the faith, we still can be hoodwinked in ignoring God's word or twisting it to make it serve our own ends. So be careful because that's what the Pharisees did. They sort of they said to themselves, well, we're children of Abraham. So, Jesus wanted to say. But he was a little bit more subtle to that. They, they thought because they were children of Abraham, they had automatic entry into heaven. You know, we do the right thing. We follow the law. Now, Paul focused on this in, in, in Romans 4. And, and he, one of the things that Paul focused on in Romans 4 is Abraham didn't believe because of anything he did or any law because he was before Moses. You know? Abraham believed the word of God and what does Paul say? It was credited to him as righteousness. Nothing he did. He just believed. What does 1, 12 and 13 tell us? To those who believed, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus is leading us. He's, he's, he's funneling us towards that end and he's creating this little noose for those who think they're religiously okay. Religion doesn't do it. Being an Anglican is not going to do it. Because I've never been, I've not been in England all my life. All right? Started as Methodist uniting, saw the light and got out of that. <laughs> all right? Was a was a congregational for a, a, a youth minister pastor in a congregational church for a while. Then I was a pastor and youth minister in a Baptist church for a while. All right? Then we were at Ingleburn Baptist where we met Nina and Steve. Right? You know, so a denomination to me doesn't matter. Following Jesus does. So if you think that you're safe in your Baptist theology, 
Think again. You know the two scariest sections in the New Testament for me? All right, is in Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goat. Because we're all religious people that we're talking about. And where Jesus says in, in a parable, and I can't remember where it is exactly, where they, they come and say, Lord, Lord, we did this for you, we did that for you, we healed, we saved. And Jesus turns around and says, yeah, that's exactly right, go away from me, I never knew you, I don't know you. Scary words. It means you need to keep the finger on the pulse of your beliefs and your faith. We're reminded at the beginning that the best way to do that is to continue in prayer and read God's word and to come under him. Micah 6.6, 6, what does the Lord require you of man? Do kindness, love justice and walk humbly with your God. Right. Absolutely. It's the only way. I get those two with the kindness and the justice ones always around the wrong way. But anyway, that's there in essence. Right. We need to begin to ask ourselves, belong to whom? The Pharisees wanted to belittle Jesus. The religious leaders. It, doesn't our world do that same to us? They belittle God's word. They belittle our beliefs. Why? To shame us into conformity. You know, do you, do you ever are amazed when you see various, various groups, whether it's adolescent or young adults, who say, we're individuals. So they're all individuals the same. Right? Kind of thing. Whether they're whatever, whatever, whatever outfits, punk, grunge, whatever. Right? We, we can't handle being individuals. Our society, and I won't go my political soapbox, I'll, I'll save that. Right? Our society wants, help, wants us to conform us to, to, because they're not comfortable. They're not comfortable with the light in the dark world, so they try and snuff it out. And the Pharisees did that. In verses 13, in chapter 8, in verse 48, in verse 52, what do they say? Oh, you're, you're demon-possessed. You're mad, Jesus. You're just a Samaritan. The Samaritans were a dirty word in those days. Worse than dirt. Lower than dirt. You're a Samaritan. You're, you're, you're demon-possessed. They tried to belittle and they tried to get everyone else to belittle him and think of him as some lunatic. Because they wanted to hold on to their traditions, their past, their law. That, that's what they were standing on. That was their foundation. They felt they were okay with that. And Jesus was taking that away from them. In verse 31, what does Jesus say in chapter 8? Let me go. Verse 31, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. In verse 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Who's the truth? It's not, it's not a what, it's a who. John 14, 6, what does it say? I am the, the way, the truth and the life. Right? There is no other way to the Father except through me. Our world will try and teach us all sorts of different things. Oh, don't, don't be so silly, you know. You know, you know they're, they're okay, you can do it this way or you can do it this way. No, Jesus makes it very clear. That's why the world doesn't like us. Because they call us bigoted. You want to see bigots, look at some of the minority groups out there and the way they treat people when they don't 
follow what they say. Freedom of expression, we are losing that, people. We have already lost that. Freedom of speech is no longer available and we're being squeezed in. That's not the only political thing I'll say. Right? Because it's an impacting about what we can say or not say about the gospel. People are now getting in trouble, losing their jobs. I won't even go there. And in verse 53, we see this. I mean, he starts to kind of tell them about He's virtually said to them, you belong to the devil. That's the verses that Nina started ringing out to us. You belong to the devil. You don't know me because you do your father's things. And he was a liar from the beginning. He was, he was evil from the beginning. Right? Right? In verse uh, 43, why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father devil and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and a father of lies. Verse 47, he who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Then the Jews answered him in verse 48, are we right in saying that you are a Samaritan, demon-possessed? I'm not demon-possessed, said Jesus, but I honour my father. And you dishonour me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge and I tell you the truth. Here's that the little catchphrase. Every time Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it says, focus on this. This is important. I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Right? He will never see death. And here again the Jews go, what? Are you crazy? At this the Jews claim, now we know that you are being possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Clincher. Verse 33. Verse 30, 53. 53 is this. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Get, can you, can you just hear the orchestra playing? In the movies, you know, in the movies when the music starts to ramp up and you just say, oh, something's going to happen. You know, in the, if you watch the horror movies, you start to turn your head because you know something bad's going to happen. And here he is, verse 50, 53, 54, the crescendo. And this, um, who do you think you are? And Jesus gives him the answer. You asked. And so he says, right, um, I glorify myself. If I glorify myself, uh, myself, my glory means nothing. My Father whom you claim as your God is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I, did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and Keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day and he saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you have seen Abraham? 
I tell you the truth. Key point. Pay attention, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, Yahweh, Yahweh. What did that mean to them? You know, because they picked up stones. He, he actually said, I am God. I am the one who at the burning bush, I was that burning bush saying to Moses, go tell your people, I am sent you. That was Jesus. That's what he's saying. Do you, do you sense the hugeness of this? He, Jesus, is actually saying, I am the living God who saved our people from slavery in Egypt. I sent Moses. And it brings me back to another thing in Genesis 15, you know, where God makes his covenant with Abraham. Abraham. That Genesis 15, he, he, he causes Abram to go into a deep sleep. And what does Abram see in his deep sleep? The, car, the car, cattle, the sheep, the livestock, split in half, separated. The birds put on either side. And in the night, a smouldering pot comes and walks through. And what is, what is God doing there? God is saying, may it happen to me, this is a, this is a contract of law in those days, May it happen to me like these carcasses if I don't keep my end of the covenant. Where was Abram? See, normally two people are walking down saying, you know, be it to us, done to me, if, if I don't keep my, my, this promise. And so either are making a commitment to each other that they would be liable to death if they don't keep it. But where's Abram? Sitting under a tree, Looking on. There's no, no obligation on his part, but all the obligation on, on God's part. And when Jesus is on the cross, what happens? There is no obligation on our part. Everything falls on Jesus' shoulders. And what does he do? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he covers us, covers our sin. I am the truth, the way and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I, I would go so far as to say that was Jesus, the mold smoldering pot, walking through those carcasses. He said, I will keep that promise. I will keep that promise on your behalf. Jesus' claims are unmistakable. So we've got to ask ourselves, where do, you, where do we belong? Jesus' claim is completely unmistakable if you really read and your eyes are open. Josh McDowell, I think it was, said that you know Jesus... Jesus' claim either makes him mad, bad, or Lord. Lunatic, liar, or Lord. If you haven't chosen, you need to choose because there's no other way out. The evidence evidence historically is compelling. The world might want to tell us differently. Thanks to Google, you you can search all sorts of things. What, what, what must we do? We must acknowledge what Jesus said. 
what he did. Matthew 11, 28, Jesus is quite clear to say that he's come to give us rest, to take our burden, for his load is light. John 3, 16, for whosoever believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. You don't have a choice about I choose this way or I choose this way. No, God is very clear in verse 17. I'm already here, outside of the the grace and glory of God, so I need to choose to step into and accept what God offers through Christ. Where is your central focus? Do you need to repent? Sometimes we do. Do you need to help in over, over, overcoming your unbelief? We need to belong. We belong in one camp or the other. Sometimes we try to have a foot in either side. Is that you? We need to repent. There's no option. We need to repent. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one zilch, no one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we come before you as we've heard from your word. You have said it clearly to us that you love us so much that you allowed your very son, the very one who was in the burning bush speaking to Moses, the very one who said, I am who I am, sent you. The very one who was a smouldering pot walking through those carcasses, you allowed him to come into this world to show us what it means to live in relationship with you. To show us the way. To enable us to know forgiveness of sin. To undo everything Adam and Eve did so that we could have life and we could have life at its fullest. Gracious Father, thank you. Gracious Father, those here today who know you but are struggling, for those who know you who have strayed, those who do not know you, who need to know you, gracious Father, challenge their hearts and minds, convict them of your truth and your love, that they might turn and follow you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If if any of you who would like prayer and need prayer, just come and talk to me after.